right. There we are. There we are. Cool. How are you guys doing? Good. Okay. Two of you. Very, very good. Glad at least two of you are doing good. Um, sweet. So who knows what book we just finished going through? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And who knows what book we're about to start today? Anyone want to take a guess? A different one. That is true. Which different one? New Testament. Anyone want to take a guess? Nope, not Matthew. Yes, sir. No, that would be cool. That's a really short little book. Have you guys ever read that book? Philemon. It's a good one. Yeah. No, but close to Revelation. Yeah. Uh, close to James. First John. Book of First John. We're going to start today. Uh, very excited to get into this new series. No real title of the series for you guys. Just kind of a subtitle. Walking in God's light. Love and life. If you have not read 1 John, you are missing out. 1 John is so rich, uh, full of all kind of good stuff. And, um, and today we're going to start by just diving in. You guys ready? Uh, God's going to speak today. It's just a matter of not whether you're going to listen or not. So God really wants to, through his word that was written you know, thousands of years ago, God is able and wanting to, by his Holy Spirit, make it relevant to you. Uh, and, it, and it really can be because it's God's word. I don't have up here any other book except the Bible. And so we're going to be going through it today and letting God speak to us. But let's pray. So today's going to be mainly um, an introduction to the message. We will uh, get into the first few verses, which are introductory, uh, but they are all important. So uh, if you're going to pay attention to any message, this one is important because it'll set the tone uh, for the next handful of weeks uh, of, of of 1 John. It is only five chapters, uh, but they're so thick, we're going to have to take them uh, step by step. So let's pray and let's get into God's word. Father, we come before you uh, in the matter of, of what we normally do. Uh, Lord, we're here to worship you. We're here to seek your word, uh, but may this time never become repetitious. Lord, never become just something we can check off our list for the beginning of our week or something we are supposed to do. Lord, if we have that attitude, would you rebuke our hearts? Would you exhort us and encourage us to be away from that? And today, Lord, we, we, we honestly need to hear from you. Lord, I, I confess, and, and I'm sure with my brothers and sisters here, we confess that, that we need you here in our lives and we need you in this world, God. We know that you're here. Lord, help our hearts and our minds be attentive today. Lord, help us, uh, Lord, understand. Would you bring understanding by your spirit to us today? And Lord, would you show us what you want us to change, what you want us to do, or what you want us to do differently? We want to live a life that is pleasing to you. And so, Lord, we give you this time, and we're just open for whatever you might have for us today. And we all said, Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, anyone have any idea who wrote 1 John? John, very good. You guys are, man, you guys are starting off good. Uh, John. Uh, so, we're going to just very quickly, as just a way of introduction, we're going to look at the, the who, uh, then we're going to look at the what, and then we're going to look at the why. Okay, so these are the three things that we're going to take a few minutes and just look at. Who uh, is John the Apostle? Yes, this is the Apostle known as the Apostle of Love. And so I just want to give you guys just a quick profile uh, because there are a few other Johns in Scripture, and I don't want you to get them confused thinking that someone else wrote it uh, that did not. 
Uh, this is not John the Baptist. This is John uh, from, who wrote the Gospel of John. Um, and who in the Gospel of John, right, he's known as the Apostle of Love because he said of himself, he is the Apostle whom Jesus loved, or he would call himself the beloved disciple, right? In the book of John, when he'd write about himself, he wouldn't put his name. He'd just be like, hey, that, that disciple that Jesus loved more than the other guys. It's kind of funny and kind of cool that he felt like that, that, he, that John had such a relationship with Jesus that he felt like he was loved on the most. But I think, honestly, that's how... Uh, every one of us should be. We should feel like, oh man, Jesus loves me. Uh, you know, it seems like he loves me a little bit more than he loves you. Not in like a funny way like that, but um, for, for real, this was, this was John's view of Jesus, that he just felt more loved than all the other disciples. Uh, can anyone give me the, does anyone know how many books that John wrote in the New Testament? Jasmine? Huh? No, not 10. Nope, not four. Nope, not three. Yes, sir. Nope. Yes, sir. Nope. Five. Five. Five books in the New Testament. Someone give me one. Raise your hand. Okay. Revelation. Okay, Revelation. Yep. Third John. Yep. First John. John. Okay, and? I said, raise your hand. Come on. Second John, boom, five books of the Bible that he wrote was a pretty, pretty good amount. John was that, that one that not only felt like Jesus loved him more, but you know how Jesus kind of had that inner circle? It was with Peter, James, and John. John was a part of that. Not that Jesus actually loved John more, but there were these three guys that he seemed to pour into uh, in, in, a very, in, a, in a greater way almost. And, and there's this close connection. I mean, you even see Jesus at the cross Remember, John is there with, with Jesus' mother, Mary, and, right, and, and basically, Jesus is on the cross, and he looks to John and says, can, basically, can you take care of my mom? I'm entrusting her to you. That there was this sincere, close relationship between the two. But we also know him as one of the sons of thunder, right? James and John. This is that John uh, that wrote First John, was one of those sons of thunder. Uh, he, he, you know, him and his brother, uh, for a they were kind of always the head of the pack who would be talking about, okay, who would be the greatest in heaven? John was usually part of those conversations. Or how one of the cities rejected Jesus, and so James and John are like, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire on this, on this city? Because, you know, they're, they're a bunch of un, unbelievers. And so John, though, had that kind of spirit as well. But John was a successful fisherman, if you can remember, of the call of John back uh, in, in the beginning of his gospel, he describes it. Uh, he was a successful fisherman with his dad, which is Zebedee. We get his name in scripture. And then, of course, his brother, uh, James. And remember, remember the four that were kind of together. It was James, John, they were fishermen. And then they also partnered with Andrew and Peter, who were also brothers. And they, and they had this business kind of going on. Uh, we know that his dad was Zebedee. And we actually have his mom's name, too. It's Salome. And Salome actually shows up quite a bit in scripture as well. Uh, Salome, interesting enough, John's mom would actually follow Jesus around with a few other women and they would take care and minister to the disciples and Jesus's needs. Sometimes they would cook food or they would supply different things. Uh, sometimes we don't think about that, but it wasn't always just Jesus and the 12. Sometimes there were other disciples or other women who at times would, would kind of take care of them. Salome was in the mix um, and... 
we, we see, though, that John, and this is where I want to kind of conclude with who he was, John did come from a kind of a wealthier family, that he was a successful fisherman at one time, and his dad, Zebedee, uh, even in archaeological discoveries, uh, he seemed to be a, a big name. Uh, we, we learn in John's gospel that uh, John, his family had hired servants. So he, he's coming from a place of money for sure. And he left all that. Uh, it wasn't just an easy thing to leave, but he left it for the sake of Jesus. And so uh, that is the John who we're talking about. But as we come to 1 John today, what is the second question? Uh, what is this book all about? Well, just as um, John is the apostle of love, this book is known as the epistle of love. Epistle is just a letter, right? This was a letter that we're going to see was to a circuit of churches, not just one church. Um, but this, this letter is known as the letter of love. You know how 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter of love? You guys ever heard that, right? Love is kind, love is patience. Uh, love shows up in 1 John uh, 46 times. In just five chapters, the word love is mentioned. Uh, in John's gospel, love is actually mentioned more times, but they have 20, John had 21 chapters to talk about love. It was uh, mentioned 57 times is the word love in the gospel of John. So it's known as the letter of love, but it's also known as the family letter, as the family epistle. Why? Well, father, the word father is used 13 times, and little children is used 11 times in just five chapters. You see, there is this also this very real sense of family and fellowship in this book, not only of love, but also how the body of Christ is family. How John will see that he comes from a place of writing as their father. He's encouraging them. And he looks at those he's writing to as little children, as, as his children in the faith. And there's this family connection throughout the whole epistle. Safe to say, 1 John is rich, full of just really awesome, guys, practical things that we can apply to our lives, uh, to the life of a Christian. Uh, thirdly, why? Why? Why was this letter written? Well, uh, different than a lot of Paul's letters. You know, Paul usually writes to uh, write the church of Colossi, Colossians, right? Or the, the church in Corinth. And so the letter is called Corinthians. Well, this, is, this letter is just called 1 John because it's not written to a specific church, but it seems to be written to kind of a circuit of churches. So say if someone right, wrote a letter to the different churches that are represented in Chino and Chino Hills, it'd be a few churches, right? And maybe, you know, it seems safe to say that this letter would, would kind of circulate. And so, you know, they would get together and one church would read it and then another church would, would read it. Remember, church back then was, was a little bit different than, than we have now. They didn't necessarily have big buildings. A lot of, there was a lot of house churches and things like that. Um, but one of the biggest reasons that John seems to be writing, we, we don't know absolutely for sure, uh, but our best guess is that John is writing this letter to combat a lot of false teaching that was taking place. And we know that because a lot of the speech which he uses seems to uh, indicate that there was something going on in that area of churches that he was writing to. That they began 
these false teachers seem to be claiming all these crazy things. And John's kind of writing a letter to respond to a lot of their false teaching. He's saying, look, let's get back to the basics. A lot of stuff in this letter is kind of back to the basics that, uh, right, those are these false teachers that were coming in and they would say, yeah, you can have fellowship with God. You can have this connection with God and sin. It's not a big deal. And there's these false teachers saying that. There are false teachers coming in and saying, you can love God with all your heart and still disobey him like in a normal way. But it's not true. They were even questioning the deity of Jesus Christ. They were saying, well, he's not actually God. He was just a great man. Or he wasn't actually God. He was, he was a, maybe an angel. Or they had these different things uh, questioning the, that Jesus was even God himself. And this seemed to get all the people within the circle of churches, they started even questioning their salvation. That they started, well, I don't know, will I go to heaven when I die? And see, these false teachers started spreading confusion. And one of the reasons that I believe that this was so difficult for the churches that he was writing to is because the people that these false teachers, they didn't come out of nowhere. They didn't come from other places, but they came from within the church. Let me show you a verse in 1 John. We won't get to it, uh, the context of it today, but I want to show you. 1 John 2.19 says this. It says, speaking of the false teachers, okay, that they went out from us, but they were not of us. Right? They were from them, but they, they showed their hand that they weren't actually with them. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest or known that none of them were of us. And so one of the difficulties, I mean, imagine if even in this room, some of our leaders started to tell you things that were contrary to the Bible. That would start making you, oh my gosh, I, do I believe him or her? And it breeds division. And this is what was happening in these churches, that these people that were sheep, that were wolves in sheep's clothing began teaching things that were against what John had already told them. A tradition tells us that John, for a lot of his life as this elder in the church, he, he spent a lot of time in Ephesus with the church there. But what you'll see throughout this whole letter is there's this very strong tone of that John is coming from this place of correction. That he's trying to show them, look, this is the way. He's reminding them probably of a lot of things they already knew. And so I want to give you, there are four hints throughout this book of why specifically it was written. It's really cool. I love when the Bible is like really clear. I love when you, you come to a verse and it says, the whole reason this letter was written is because of this. And there's four places that it does that. And we'll look at one in depth today. But throughout the, four, throughout the five chapters, there's four places. Uh, in chapter one, verse four, uh, John literally says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. There's no confusing that. He's saying, hey, one of the reasons that we're writing to you is that we want you to have joy. In chapter two, verse one, he says, these things we write to you so that you may not sin, so that they wouldn't sin. Chapter two, verse 26 says, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. See, that's how we get some of those hints about those false teachers. 
And in chapter 5, verse 13, he kind of ends the letter saying, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so it's two believers, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so though there, is, there, there really isn't one central focus, that's why we don't really have one title uh, for uh, this book, is because he's hitting a broad scheme of things. He's talking, you know, he wants them to have joy. He wants them not to sin, not to think that they can live a life of sin and still be right with God. And then he's also writing them, right? He's saying, don't be deceived. Jesus really was God, that he is God. And then fifthly, he wants them to have that assurance of salvation. It's one of the most important things. So that's kind of the introduction to 1 John. You guys ready to get into it today? All right. If you're in 1 John, I want you to say word. All right, let's try again. If you're in 1 John, say word. word. All right, sounds better. A little late there. That's okay, you'll catch up. 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to read today uh, the first four verses, the first four verses. And that's what we're going to kind of uh, look at. These, four, these first four verses uh, is going to be a lot different than a Pauline introduction, meaning the way that Paul would introduce a letter. Normally, Paul would say, uh, this is Paul, and, and I'm with Timothy, and greetings from, you know, this place, and, you know, peace and love and grace to you and your family, and then say that kind of thing. John, we're going to see in a moment, he doesn't waste a single word in this letter. He just gets right to it, and he doesn't mess around. The first thing that he, he talks about is Jesus, and so we're going to read these, these first four verses, and then um, I want you after, so after I'm done reading these four verses... I want you to then close your eyes, and I'm going to read you a translation uh, that's a little bit different. It's in more modern language, so hopefully it'll bring a little bit more understanding, okay? So first, eyes open. After we're done, I'm going to read the same four verses, just in a different uh, translation, okay? Sound good? Yes? All right. Look at verse one, guys. First John, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. It's Jesus. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. All right, close your eyes. Same verses. This is the J.B. Phillips version. We are writing to you about something which has always existed, yet which we ourselves have actually saw and heard. Something which we had an opportunity to observe closely and even to hold in our hands. And yet, as we now know, was something of the very word of life himself, Jesus. For it was life which appeared before us. We saw it. We were eyewitnesses of it and are now writing to you about it. It was the very life of all ages, the life that has always existed with the Father, which actually became visible in person to us mortal men. 
we repeat, we really saw and heard what we are now writing to you about. We want you to be with us in this, in this fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ, his Son. We must write and tell you about it because the more that fellowship extends, the greater the joy it brings to us who are already in it. It's awesome. You can open your eyes. First John, I'm going to warn you right now as we get into this. First John, because it is so thick, it can be like in only four verses, you're like, okay, I, I, it takes a little bit extra. And so I don't know how you guys, you know, I, I'm, I'm up here. So I don't know how, how it is for you guys, right, sitting down there. Um, but I want to encourage you guys, as we go through this series, uh, when I'm reading the, the text, this is where the power comes from. This is God's word. And so it's going to greatly benefit you if you are following along. And as, you, as we go through it, right, we're going to break it down. And so go back. Don't just close your Bible after we read it, but have your notes, have your Bible, and go back. When I say, okay, look at verse 1, go back in there. And it's, maybe you're saying, well, I don't understand anything Joel says. Well, that might be my fault, but at least try. Hey, really? And I believe if you try, you're going you're gonna to be following. You're going to get it, and God's going to speak to you. Sound good? Have you guys ever experienced something so cool that you just had to tell someone about it? Like it was just maybe it was so awesome that you just, you wanted others to be able to go and experience that. Like maybe that was almost the first thought that you experienced something and then right after you're like, I gotta tell so-and-so or I gotta tell someone they have to join in on this. They have to experience this. I know there's, it's just some silly examples, but this is stuff that excites me. I really like food. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, I really do. I probably talk about it too much when I'm up here. Probably you can see a little too much. I like it a little too much. But there's this place in LA, and it is called Howlin' Rays. Right, Mark? Howlin' Rays. And you might, you might think, well, what's so special about it? It is the, one of the greatest eating experiences of my life. It's Nashville hot chicken. And you might say, well, I, I don't get it. Yeah, you don't get it because you haven't been there. This place is so good. And any given day, on, I mean, right now, or I think they're closed on Sundays and Mondays. I'm not sure. No, no, I think they're open. But on, let's say, a Tuesday, you go at know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, two-hour wait all the time, sometimes three hours, sometimes four hours. And people wait for this food because it's so enjoyable. I remember the first time I went there, where I had to go, go back and tell, oh, my gosh, you have to experience this. It is the greatest thing in the world. It is so good. And for you guys, you should go. You just have to have like a few hours of time, so an hour to drive to LA, two hours to wait, hour to eat. So it's, it's kind of a whole day thing, but it is so awesome, right? Maybe you've had a food experience like that, where you've gone somewhere and you're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever put in my mouth, right? And you got to go tell your friends about it. Or there's a place that Haley and I have the privilege of every other year we get to go to uh, Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. You guys ever, anyone been to Cabo? Uh, and there's this place that we get to stay at. It's called the Grand Solmar. It is like you enter that place and it feels like you are royalty. I mean, they, I mean they, they come in not just once a day to clean your room. They come in twice a day. They come in something, for, something called turn down service. It's when they come in and prepare your bed. You know, they kind of fold back the blanket, make it cup, comfy. They dim the lights to make sure everything. It is so awesome. And so for me, I'm like, okay, if someone's going to Cabo, I'm like, you got to stay there. Like it is the best experience, right? And maybe you've experienced something like that. Something, another food item I can think of, right? Harkins popcorn. I can't stop talking about it. It is so good. It is better than AMC, better than Edwards. And so when you really enjoy something and there's something that 
almost becomes like, this was so awesome. Your reaction is, let me go tell someone about it. Let me go share this with someone else because you want others to experience that same joy. And for John, this is what he's doing here. He, this letter that he's writing, if you notice some of the language, these are things that he's seen, that he's heard. He's experienced in Jesus in a way that he has to tell other people about it. And so we're going to see today four different things in these four verses, each one for each verse, okay? And we'll break it down first. In verse one, in verse one excuse me, we see John's credentials, John's credentials, if you're taking notes, if you don't know, this is a time that you write down John's credentials, verse one, okay? Do you know what credentials are? If someone, you know, like your license is your, well, you don't have a license, but when you get one, that will be your credentials to be able to drive, right? If you get pulled over, the police officer wants to see, okay, can he drive? Yes, he has the right credentials. He has the right license, right? And so John, he's basically, we're, we're gonna see here in verse one, He's showing that he knows what he's talking about. He spent time with Jesus. He lived years with Jesus. He did ministry with Jesus. That what he is saying is not a a fairy tale that he heard from someone else. But what John is about to share with us in this letter is he experienced it firsthand. He was there. And let's look at it. Verse one again, it says, that which was from the beginning. When you see the word that, it's talking about Jesus that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Who is the word of life? It's Jesus. Jesus is the word of life. John chapter one, also written by John, is a very awesome parallel passage. Hopefully you know it. It's John chapter one. If you are a Bible student in any way, when you read the first four verses of first John, what comes to mind is the book of John in the first four verses. And so in John chapter one, not to be confused with first John, John says this, in the beginning was the word. Who's the word? Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was, excuse me, made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Has it ever been confusing to you guys, the fact that we refer to Jesus as the word? I know to me, it's, it's been confusing. I'm like, okay, like the word, but isn't that the Bible? But, but then we also call Jesus the word. Uh, he is the word of life. Why? Guys, God's word to us is Jesus. He is the ultimate communication to which, G, to which God wants to communicate with you, it is Jesus. If you boil this whole book down to one word, the word is Jesus. The Bible says of itself that the volume of the book is written of Jesus, that it is his word to us. God's word to you is Jesus, and it is that which brings life. The Bible says of itself that no other name under heaven can anyone be saved. That the word in the name Jesus Christ is the most powerful name in all of history. And it will continue to be. Guys, the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, the fact that he is Lord, every knee will bow. And one day, every person, whether they're non-believers or believers, they will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is God's word to us. And so when the Bible refers to him as the word, 
it's referring to his message. Even in Revelation 19, 13, you guys ever read Revelation? Oh man, Revelation 19, there's this description of Jesus, of the, the glorified Jesus who's gonna come back on the white horse. And even then, the Bible says here, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. He is the word. He is God's message to us. And Jesus also says of himself in John eleven twenty five and John 14, 6, that he is the resurrection and the what? And the life. That he is the way, the truth, and the what? Oh, come on. He is the way, the truth, and the what? Life. He is the word of life. He is that word which brings life. And Jesus, he's always been. You know the manger scene that we're about to celebrate coming up? Did you know that that was not Jesus's existence? That he existed before that? And right here, the Bible says when he says that, he's speaking of that word of life. And he says that which was from the beginning. Meaning that Jesus always was and always has been. Since he was there in the beginning, this means he had no beginning, that he is not a created being, but Jesus is the creator God himself. Genesis 1.1, he was there in the beginning and he was involved in creation. When the Bible says here, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and he says that he was in the beginning, it means to exist, that Jesus existed before the beginning of time, which means he has always existed. He is that word of life. And John, the craziest thing about it, John got to experience this, guys. John got to experience Jesus firsthand, and he describes it. Number one, he says, that which we have heard, that which we have heard, that Jesus, sorry, that John heard Jesus's voice with his ears. Have you guys ever heard Jesus's voice? Be awesome if you have. I have not. I've not gotten that privilege. I one day will, and I'm excited for that day. But Jesus spoke. The Bible describes Jesus' purpose for coming, that his purpose was preaching. And many people heard him, but no one heard him as much as the apostles, the words of life. You see, the words of Jesus in the gospel, you know how they're, they're the words in red? You know, there is nothing extra special about those words. The whole Bible is God's word. But think about it. Think about John, that he knew the voice of Jesus. They knew his tone. They knew what kind of tone Jesus had when he was especially happy. He knew what kind of tone Jesus had when he was passionate about something. He knew what kind of tone Jesus had when he was angry. And he knew his mannerisms. He knew, uh, he knew the way that he would say something or maybe whatever. He, he knew when he was sad. He knew what kind of voice he would have. He knew uh, they, they saw him cry. No doubt they saw him laugh. That John is saying, I heard his voice, his credentials. He's showing that what he's about to say, that he's not some random guy, but that he spent real time with Jesus. Second thing, that John saw Jesus with his eyes, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. That Jesus was not this floating spirit, but he was man. He was flesh and bones. That John, the apostles, knew what he looked like. He knew, they knew how tall he was. Think about it. 
Think about some of those things that you and I just don't know about. They knew how tall he was. They knew what kind of build he had. They knew how he did his hair. They knew his eye color that John could say, I know the very skin tone of Jesus. That John could go to a sketch artist and write out what Jesus looked at, looked like. That John is saying that he's coming from a place of experience. It's interesting. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, that he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That Jesus was an average looking Joe, that there was actually nothing incredible about him, the Bible describes to us uh, in Isaiah. He says he has no form or, or comeliness. It means that uh, there wasn't this, this, you know, you wouldn't see him and like, oh my gosh. And there'd be this immediate draw because of the way that he looked. It's kind of good for, I mean, I like that. I like that, that you know, that Jesus came and he, he experienced what it looks like to look mediocre. Uh, he knows. Uh, and and that, that wasn't something that even concerned him. And the Bible says right here in verse one that John, that they, he, he's saying, you know how he says we? He means all the apostles with him, right? The disciples. It says that we looked upon him. Look at verse one. Do you guys see that? It says that he looked upon him. It means to gaze admiringly. It's that same word in John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do we have that one, for Mark, on the screen? John 1, 14? No? Okay. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Now, the Bible says that, that Jesus dwelt, and they, they, they were able to behold him. It means to gaze admiringly at him. It means, you know, there's this sense of awe and wonder and of amazement. Kind of like maybe you've seen a sunset before. And you're not just looking at the sunset, you're looking at the sunset, right? Or maybe some mountain view that you've seen. And it's not like you're just looking at it like, no, you're like, this is amazing. This is like the best thing I've ever seen. For, for John, he's saying that, that we saw him. Even Peter would agree in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Look at it. That Peter would agree with John and say, we were eyewitnesses. Do you know how good it is to have an eyewitness in a court? That's like, boom. That's, I mean, that's like it. You have an eyewitness. And especially if you have multiple eyewitnesses, it's, it's like that, that's the best thing you could look for. And so John's credentials, he's coming from a place of saying, I, not just, I didn't just hear Jesus and know his voice. I saw him. And as believers today, it can be kind of discouraging, maybe reading something like this. I know it was for me. It's like, oh man, I want to know. I want to know what Jesus' voice was like, what he looked like. But be encouraged and take heart because we will see him face to face one day. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Everyone look at me. You will see Jesus face to face one day. For hopefully most of you, if not all of you, uh, you're going to see a Jesus 
who is standing up on your behalf, who is welcoming you in, who is telling you well done. But for some of you, which is hard for me to bear and even think about, but that if you don't have Jesus as, as that sacrifice, you will see Jesus face to face. He will just look like the Jesus that is described to us in Revelation 19. The Jesus that is described as having flames as, as, as eyes. It's having a, a, a white brightness that is almost so hard to look at because it's so bright. And some, it'll be, he'll be at his white throne judgment. So you'll see Jesus face to face one day, but for believers, we can take heart because we'll see the Jesus that John experienced. Thirdly, is that John touched Jesus with his hands. He not only heard him with his ears, saw him with his eyes, but John touched him with his hands, that they were able to touch Jesus. That we know from even Judas, do you remember the the garden scene when when Judas betrays Jesus? You guys remember that? What What does Judas go up and do to Jesus? kiss him. And he betrays him with what the Bible describes as a holy kiss. Not a weird kiss, a holy kiss, right? Now, obviously, Judas's wasn't holy uh, because it was full of betrayal, but this was a custom. It shows us that this was something that they did. It was a sign of respect and connection uh, in a di- way different culture uh, than we are today. Don't come up and try to kiss me, okay? I will, I will not allow you. You might get punched, so uh, just don't do it. But you see, back then, it was, it was just, it was different. This was a sign of connection, but they would have touched Jesus in that way. Even think about John 13. John 13 is, is when Jesus gets out the wash basin and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. That they had Jesus, the, the word of life, the one who was there from the beginning, touch their feet and wash them amazing. We even see John himself, maybe you can think about the last supper setting, right? John himself, the Bible describes that, that he would lay back on Jesus's chest. He would hear his heartbeat. He not only heard him, he not only saw him, but they touched him. See, think about, does anyone know what Jesus's uh, trade was, his occupation? Yes, sir. He was a carpenter, right? He was a carpenter. Do you guys know that? That Jesus' father, Joseph, was a carpenter. No doubt Jesus would have been a carpenter to be able to make his living right. He was 30 when he entered the ministry. He was doing something before then. No doubt he was working. He was working hard with his hands. And he no doubt had many calluses on his hands showing his hard work. And they would have known this. They would have known the feel of Jesus' hands. They would have known Jesus' scent. I'm sure sometimes wasn't pretty when they were walking uh, far away. Maybe Jesus always smelled good. I don't know. <laughs> but you guys see, you guys understand? John experienced him firsthand. And even after the resurrection, the rest of the disciples did. Remember with doubting Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 27? The Bible says here, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now the Bible doesn't tell us if they actually did that. I wonder if Thomas actually put his hands in the wounds of Jesus. The Bible just describes really, I mean, right after this, it doesn't say explicitly that, okay, Thomas reached his hand and then, no, it says right then, I think it's like he realized, oh man, he says, my Lord and my God. 
And I'm sure after they're like, oh my gosh, he, I mean, think about it. If he had holes in his wrist, you could see through it. And even still today, the Jesus that you and I will see in heaven will have those scars. He will be the only scarred man and marred man in heaven. Even John would describe that he saw a lamb that was slain when he saw Jesus in heaven. Might be very different than what you and I would expect. And um, unbelievably today, I usually never do this, but we've only gotten through the first verse. And our time is has come to an end, and we'll have to pick up next week. But think about, don't put your stuff away. Think about what a witness, what a great witness we have here. That John, he experienced not only the life of Jesus, he experienced the death, don't put your stuff away. He experienced the death of Jesus, and he experienced Jesus after rising from the dead. Guys, Don't let anyone tell you that the Bible is full of contradictions. Don't let anyone tell you that the Bible isn't true or was written 300 years after. First hand account we have of John. And he's saying, I saw it. I heard it. I I knew his voice. I knew his scent. That I experienced Jesus in a way that was very real. And what we're going to get into over the next handful of weeks uh, is very real in this way, that, that what he says, we can trust what he says, not only, of course, because it's the word of God, but look at his credentials. Look at what he's coming at. And so today, I don't know where you guys at or where you guys are at and what you think of the Bible and of Jesus, but I want you, as we close in a song of worship, I want you to think about that you will experience one day, one day Jesus in that physical way that you will be able to hug him, that you'll be able to know him. But some of you, uh, you, you are only waiting for that, that kind of experience. But did you know that you can have that kind of experience now, just looks different? That you can feel so connected with Jesus, and I tell you this out of experience, and hopefully you have, you can experience Jesus in such a way that it feels like he's right here whether that's in worship or the word, that, that you feel so connected with him. Guys, as much as we are not to base our relationship with God after experiences, our relationship with God makes way for our experiences with him. Christianity is not just a teaching religion. It's not just a, okay, you do these few things. No, it is a relationship religion. It is an experience. And for those of you today that if you're, bored with your Christianity. I love Pastor Jack. He says it all the time. If you're bored with your Christianity, you are doing it wrong. There's something wrong. It is off. Because the life that I have experienced over the last eight years of walking with the Lord, there is nothing better. There is nothing else that satisfies. And it is real. Experience him today. Talk to him. For those of you that are believers, he loves you. You're his son. You're his daughter. For those of you that aren't, come to him. Simply confess your sins, trust in him, believe what he said in his word today, okay? Father, we come before you and we thank you for your time uh, that you would spend on us, that you are not just this, this God who created us and let us alone. No, you are very tangible that you are here with us. And you're not in it here with a spirit of judgment and condemnation, but that you're here with a spirit of openness, that you want us to come to you. And Jesus, I just, 
Lord, I know I'm excited for that day that I get to shake your hand, that I get to hug you, that I get to fall at your feet and and worship you in that way. Uh, Lord, but I don't want to wait till then to experience you. And I, and, I, and I pray that even in this last song of worship that you would, well, not that we're looking for the experience, but we want to see you. We want to feel you in a sense. God, we want you to be pleased by our life. Lord, that day that we do see you, we want you to be able to smile. Lord, not, not look at us with shame. And so, God, we just commit our lives to you. We commit our lives to seeking you in your word and uh, just pursuing you, God. Lord, be glorified in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.